Hello, everyone. I just wanted to give everyone a heads up. Thank you for listening to these episodes of the Randomly Accessed podcast. They've been pretty successful. A lot of people have been downloading the episodes, so I really appreciate everyone that's been downloading and listening in. So I just wanted to give a heads up, primarily just letting you know that I will be continuing to making these episodes. It's just that right now I've been busy with work and busy with now going back to school. So the episodes will be slowing down a little bit. Probably it's as long as this episode, between this episode and the last episode, how long it took me to make this one and release it, then it'll probably be that same amount of time. I will still continue to upload and that's my plan. I'm hoping to release another one, hopefully sometime in October. It'll probably be Halloween themed. But if you want to get some written reviews, I will be posting them at the channel MX on Twitter if you want to check them out. And also check me out there because I will be making announcements just in case if I cannot complete the episode on time. But anyway, thank you for listening. Thank you for everyone who's been supportive of this project. And let's get right into the episode. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Randomly Accessed, your entertainment-based podcast discussing film, television, and sometimes gaming, presented by MX. So in today's episode, we're going to be discussing two films that didn't necessarily succeed at the box office, but I wanted to discuss their merits and why you should check them out. The first one we're going to be discussing is Christopher Nolan's most recent film, Tenant, that came out in 2020, and the other is John McTernan's Last Action Hero from 1993. Let's start with Christopher Nolan's Tenet. So to start off, for me, Tenet was one of my most anticipated movies of last year. Last year had so many big movies that I was very excited to see. And unfortunately, because of the coronavirus, many movies were delayed or postponed until this year of 2021. Tenet was one of the few movies that actually remained last year due to Christopher Nolan's insistence and because they thought that they could weather out the storm. Unfortunately, the movie did not succeed in the box office because... It came out probably way too soon before people were really interested in going back to the theaters. Anyway, let's go ahead and begin discussing about the movie. So Tenet is the story of this spy who joins a mysterious group called Tenet, and their task is to stop the end of the world. So the principal cast is John David Washington as the protagonist, Robert Pattinson as Neil, the protagonist's handler, Elizabeth Debicki as Kay Barton, an art dealer and Sater's wife, and Kenneth Branagh who is Adrian Sater, who is a Russian oligarch communicating with the future and the villain of this film. So Tenet is really Christopher Nolan's James Bond film. He mentioned multiple interviews that he was inspired by the Bond films, especially the Sean Connery ones. Last year, I spent some time watching some of those older films as well. I watched Dr. No and Goldfinger with the Sean Connery, and I could see a lot of inspiration from those early movies as well. There was a lot of crazy gadgets in that film. There were beautiful women, unsavory characters, cool stunts, and a lot of gorgeous locations. So when watching this film, you do get that James Bond feel. You see where Christopher Nolan took a lot of inspiration from those James Bond films and how he's homaging those films in a few different ways. In the film, there's plenty of globe trotting. They go to India, Vietnam, England, just to name a few places. This is very similar to the other films in the spy genre. You know, they always visit these foreign places. And really, Nolan really took advantage of going to these places. They look absolutely stunning because he filmed in IMAX. 
You get to see the full scope of so many different places. They look really nice. And in the spy genre, there's always cool gadgets. In this film, actually, there's not that much gadgetry going on. It's a bit toned down with respect to Christopher Nolan. He always is a fan of realism. He wants to keep things as realistic as possible. So in this film, there's not necessarily elaborate gadgets going on, but it does have that Christopher Nolan spin to it. Christopher Nolan has been known to use time in a lot of his films to really enhance the story or tell the story in a different way. Big example would be Memento. Another one would be Dunkirk and Inception. So Nolan likes to play with the concept of time. And in this film, there's no exception. He takes it up to very, very crazy levels with this concept of inversion. In it, it's that these technology can reverse the person's entropy or something like that in the film. They discuss it, that it turns people and objects backwards. And so that's the biggest thing about the movie that Nolan brings to the table. Now, supposedly there's real science involved with that, which I probably wouldn't understand anyway, but it doesn't really matter. Overall, this is the biggest thing that Nolan brings to the table. And especially in the spy genre, I don't think I've seen something this complicated But, you know, with so many films in the spy genre nowadays, it's quite common to see certain tropes in the films that I kind of mentioned, you know, Dr. No or Goldfinger. But I think Tenant is more in line with the Mission Impossible films than it is with more James Bond. In the Mission Impossible films, it focuses a lot more on the stunt work that Tom Cruise brings to the table, the insanity of that man, turning it up a notch, hanging from skyscrapers, hanging from a plane. In this film, it probably doesn't go that extreme. Nolan still keeps it more quote-unquote realistic, but I do appreciate that Nolan was trying to do something very unique and was obviously very inspired by the James Bond films especially. With this in mind, let's go ahead and start talking about the characters themselves in the film. Now in the spy genre, you always have these very famous characters, these very interesting spies. You have James Bond, Ethan Hunt from Mission Impossible, But in those movies, they're not just the main characters. It's also supporting cast in those films, the people that help out. But also, the big one is also always the villain. In James Bond, you have so many famous villains. You have Blowfield, you have Dr. No, you have Goldfinger, for example. And in Mission Impossible, maybe the villains are not at that level. But most recently with Solomon Lane, that has been in Rogue Nation, that has been in Mission Impossible Fallout. They definitely have this interesting dynamic with the main character. They play with character either mentally, not really physically a lot of the time, depending on the villain. It is always interesting to see the kind of characters that are in these spy films. And I think this movie, unfortunately, doesn't really have that kind of memorability that these other films have. This is Nolan. I don't think he really wanted to try to compete with this type of movies. I think he just wanted to do his own spin on it. But nonetheless, we're going to be discussing these characters and see what I kind of like and don't like about them. So the first one has to be John David Washington's The Protagonist. Now, John David Washington, I enjoyed watching him in the movie Black Klansman. I think he did a phenomenal job. He has a lot of humor. He can be very serious. And in this movie, he felt very similar to me, like in Black Klansman. Not not the same, obviously, very different movies. But John David Washington, you can tell he worked out for this role. He did a great job performing a lot of the stunts. I'm assuming that he obviously didn't do the more dangerous ones, but I saw some behind the scenes and then I remember seeing him do some of the catapulting, some of the action that was done on the freeway. 
it was cool to see him do this kind of role, considering his previous role that I've seen him in was a more toned down. This is a very action heavy role. Unfortunately, Nolan didn't really want him to be, I would say, like a very, how you would say, very memorable. He's never given a name. We don't know much about his backstory. The only thing that we know of is that he worked for the CIA. In the Mission Impossible movies, Tom Cruise, he obviously is Tom Cruise, so you know he stands out. James Bond, synonymous pretty much with Sean Connery and very recently with Daniel Craig. And so Nolan decided to not have a named character and more an amalgamation of those kind of spy characters. So the protagonist in this film, he's suave, funny, intelligent, and can fright pretty much everybody in the film. He's a super spy like James Bond or Ethan Hunt, but he's never given a name. He's never given like his own personality. And I think Nolan really wanted to do this because he wanted us to focus on other things outside of the characters. John David Washington is really good in this role, but he doesn't necessarily stand out from a lot of the other actors in this film. But the next one I want to discuss is Neil. So Neil is played by Robert Pattinson. He's the protagonist's handler. Robert Pattinson, he's obviously very well known for his Twilight films. But in recent years, he's been doing other work, typically on the indie side. I saw recently the movie The Lighthouse with him and Willem Dafoe, and he was excellent in the film, even though I wasn't a big fan of the film. But in this film, I like that he's kind of returning back to the more mainstream films. He's going to be in the next Batman film, so it's be kind of cool to see him. And in this one, he does seem to be having fun in the role. He's primarily the assistant, but he is a pivotal part of the film, especially later on. And he's been a great actor for a while now, so it was nice to see him in this kind of film. And despite him being like a side character, I think that he played the assistant very well in this film. His acting chops weren't really shown off in this film, but I think that's okay. It wasn't a very showy performance from anyone in this film outside of the villain. The next one is Kat, played by Elizabeth Debicki, and she is Sater's wife. Now, I like her in the role. I think she has some cool moments when she's standing up to Sater, especially. She's actually the emotional core of the film. She's basically living as a hostage with Sater because he won't let her leave with their son. Her and her husband have an estranged marriage. It makes it very difficult. We see the abuse. We see the games that he plays with her. And unfortunately, her being the emotional core, for me, I just felt that it was kind of weak compared to some of the other films that Nolan has done, but we'll discuss it when I discuss thoughts. And then finally, the villain is Andre Sador, who is played by Kenneth Branagh. And for me, I think he's the best part of the film. He's obviously going very showy. He goes ham in this film. It's very interesting to see him play up this fake Russian accent. Considering it's British, it does make me laugh. He's very intimidating. He's very in your face with, with the protagonist, especially. He actually is very smart. Like, I was very surprised. He was never a grunt. He always was thinking steps ahead. But obviously, as you see the rest of the film, then you understand how he has so much information. And as I mentioned earlier with the inversion tech, then you understand why. For me, Kenneth was the best part of this film. I really enjoyed his performance. He was always very fun to watch. And anyway, let's discuss the overall feel of this film. So to start off, I would say this is a very good spy film. I think it has plenty of action, a mystery to it. Anybody can really be entertained by this film, but it is lacking in a few parts. Now, when I first watched this film, it was last year. I was able to see it in an IMAX theater. 
It was a great experience. There was no one in the theater. It was pretty cool to see in what I think Nolan really wanted you to watch it. He is a big proponent of the theatrical experience. He loves to work with IMAX to really show off the scale. And it showed. I was thoroughly impressed when I saw it in theaters. But when the movie ended, I remember feeling lost and having like a huh expression. I was like, what? What just happened? Especially the ending because it's so chaotic. But I did feel very unsatisfied. Maybe not very unsatisfied, but I felt like I was expecting more from the film. I was so hyped. I was so excited. But after watching it a second time, I did think that I understood most of the principal things that were going on in the film. And now I've seen it, I think, in total of four times since the movie was released. And I feel like I understand most of the story. But regardless of how many times you watch this film, a lot of the time travel stuff doesn't make any sense regardless of how many times you watch it. Unfortunately, I do think that that's weakness on the writing that Nolan provided in this film. I was impressed with a lot of things in this movie, though. I, I was impressed with the creativity of this film. I think Nolan continues to deliver a lot of unique experiences. And I think this movie is no exception in that respect. The time travel aspects of this film are excellent. And I like that he builds on these motifs that he's used in other films. And time travel, it's a very overused thing. You've seen it in Avengers Endgame. You've seen it in Back to the Future, Terminator. There's a hot tub time machine. You have so many films that have utilized time travel. And in this film, Nolan really does make it feel fresh. I was very surprised that time travel wasn't used as a gimmick. It was actually used, one can say it was a little bit gimmicky, but I would say that Nolan definitely made it feel unique in this film. I was very impressed that he used actual science behind it. In this film, when the inversion was in the smaller scale, I think that's when it worked the best. A lot of things that happen, especially in the ending, when there's like a big battle going on, there's inversion going on all over the place. I think that's when the concept starts to fall apart. The ending is very anticlimactic because I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know who was attacking who. The only part that made sense was how they were able to come to a resolution. But in this film, there was a lot of nameless goons doing a lot of different stuff. Depending on the villain, you know, what they decide they want to do. That's standard in the spy films, but especially in the ending, it was just a mess. It felt completely out of place in comparison to everything else that had occurred in the film. Now, a big thing that I was reminded of when I was watching this film was the movie Inception. And in Inception, there's dream within a dream. They go multiple levels to implant this idea into this guy's mind. There's a lot of action that goes on in that film. But in that movie, it's a lot less of them and it didn't feel as chaotic to the point of confusion. The biggest thing that I thought was confusing was just trying to stay, okay, so what is going on at a particular moment? But at the same time, you're able to follow it better than in this film. Nolan, I think he went way too far in this film. I think he just wanted to make everything seem bigger, like up the stakes. And I think unfortunately, that's what makes the ending very anticlimactic. Considering that I would say two thirds of the movie is pretty solid. And I think had Nolan been able to scale back the ending, maybe make it less chaotic, maybe it would have still had the same impact that I feel now, but I think it would have provided a better viewing experience. Ultimately, this film is primarily plot driven. It's not really character driven. A lot of it is revolving around particular sets that go on. There's the fight in the vault. There's the car chase that happens. And then there's the ending battle sequence. So those are like the three principal things that go on in this film. 
And so I think Nolan did want to have more spectacle in this film. It didn't seem like he really wanted to tell this really in-depth story. I think he tried to have a little bit of depth with Kat's character. I think he wanted to try to have like this emotional core, but it didn't really work in comparison to something like Inception. The reason I keep bringing up Inception is because I think that they two are very similar in terms of this high concept blockbuster that Nolan tried to do. And I think Nolan wanted to do the same thing he did with Inception with Tenet, just with a different thing going on. Inception, ultimately, it's a heist film. Tenet is ultimately a spy film. And I think maybe he should have probably worked with his brother and he probably could have done something more creative, something a little bit more emotional. And Inception, it did push the boundaries for those high concept action films. But at the same time, it still had that emotional core that I think was really lacking in this film. For one, it's Leonardo DiCaprio and we know his name. We know his stakes. He's trying to go back home. He's trying to see his family again after the mistakes that he made with his wife. In it, we're constantly reminded of this. We're seeing the consequences of his actions. We're trying to understand his mind. Ultimately, it's not really about the heist. It's about him trying to go back home. And so in Tenant, it was the protagonist has a fondness for Sator's wife and is trying to relate to their situation. The husband is abusive. He's evil. He's insane. And he's keeping her from her son. But I think, unfortunately, because there's a bit of a disconnect. Why does he care about Kat? Like, he likes her. But like, I feel that there was like some disconnect there. I'm like, okay, so he liked her, but there was nothing more to it. And it's like the protagonist is not really the main central character where he's not given the emotional core. Cat is given the emotional core. The way it was written in the film, it lacked the relatability. A lot of the nuance that maybe Inception had going for it. And had the emotional core that I think Tenant was lacking. And so... I think this movie also was overly complicated regardless of how many viewings that you watched. And does it ruin the movie? Not really, but I do think that it's a weakness in terms of just viewing pleasure. When you watch this movie the first time, it's confusing. I feel like it wasn't interesting enough to really warrant going back unless you're a Christopher Nolan fan. I think had you just decided to watch this film on your own accord without ever hearing about it, I think it would have probably left you unsatisfied. Unless you're a Nolan fan, I don't think you'll go watch it a second time. There's a lot of interesting ideas that are thrown into this movie, but just the way he tried to present it was very confusing. Now, after seeing it four times, I do believe that I can understand the movie overall. But I mean, a normal person is not going to watch a film four times just to try to understand it. I didn't watch it four times to understand it. I feel like I got it after the second time. The more times you watch it, the easier it is to follow, the more interesting it is to watch But I think that had Nolan not made it so complicated, a little bit more straightforward, it probably would have been an easier viewing experience for everyone. I think it probably would have been more enjoyable. His characters, as I mentioned, were not the most interesting. He really wanted to focus on the plot, but the plot also was kind of lacking. There's a lot of other issues with this. One of the biggest ones is the sound mixing. There's loud, blaring music going on, and there's people talking, and you can't understand what they're saying. And until I watched it at home with subtitles, I was able to actually see what they were saying. And I was like, oh, okay, this is what they were saying. This is what they were trying to explain. And it's a style choice. Nolan said that he wanted people to focus on what was going on visually. 
So the blaring music, which was excellent, by the way, but it just didn't make for a good viewing experience. I think had they mixed it better, you could have still got the same effect, but at the same time made it more enjoyable to watch. Nolan has been able to provide depth and clever dialogue to his characters before, and I think that is what's missing from this film, especially for me. I feel like the prestige has such excellent back and forth with the characters. Inception is very high concept, but you're able to understand what's going on. It's funny. It's entertaining. But had this movie maybe had a little bit of a better polish to it, I think the script probably needed like one more go at it, maybe with his brother. And I think they probably could have figured some stuff a little better to make it a little bit more interesting, a little bit more in-depth. But there's a lot of good things about this film as well. So the score, as I mentioned, is excellent. It's blaring, but it fits exceptionally well in this film. Ludwig, who worked also on the Black Panther soundtrack, he's absolutely excellent. I think he kind of, he wasn't trying to imitate Hans Zimmer, who has worked with Nolan before, but he really did add a really uniqueness, but also like kind of Hans Zimmer-y, and that's what I really appreciate. I love to hear like a collaboration between them. The action sequences in this film are really unique. They stand out. They're very impressive. This is a minor spoiler, but there's a scene when he's fighting an inverted person. And in it, it's so cool because the action, they're going backwards. They're shooting each other backwards. And it's very cool like to watch in person. And especially, I think the settings in this film work very well to the advantage that Nolan was going for in this movie. We're able to see places like India, Vietnam. And we're able to get the sense of scale. We're able to see these gorgeous locations, but also out of reach just in general. We don't really visit these kind of places. So it's very interesting to be able to see these really gorgeous locations on screen. And especially if you're watching it like a gigantic theater or if you have like a gigantic screen, it does look really great. He does take these really gorgeous shots of these locations. And especially in this film, it's very much scaled up. There's a lot of access sequences. We're able to see like them doing like this high speed chase and it's going backwards and forwards. So it's very interesting and very fun to watch. Now, in the ending, there's a big action sequence going on and you're able to see this fighting and shooting and this crazy battle that's going on between Tenant's forces and the forces of Seder. It's just super chaotic as to what's going on in the film. I can't really tell what is going on most of the time. It's literally just a bunch of shooting and explosions and nameless people fighting each other. And it just doesn't make sense. The only part that makes sense is the very, very end. But whenever you just focus on the protagonist, Neil and Sater and Kat, that whole tension of will the bomb go off? Will it destroy all of humanity? Stuff like that. And so the battle comes off as very anticlimactic because I don't know who is fighting who. The sequence feels incredibly out of place in comparison to the rest of the film. In a movie like Inception, for example, there's the big action sequence that goes on at the very end of the film. And they have to break into like this snowy complex. It reminds me a lot of that in Tenet. Whereas Tenet has like this blown out, scaled up action sequence trying to defuse this bomb. In Inception, it's like a smaller group trying to break into the safe to plant the idea to sell the guy's company. And so there's nameless goons in that one as well, but it just doesn't feel as crazy or as scaled up. It's a lot smaller in scale for the most part, but I think it works exceptionally well because you just focus on the principal cast. You focus a lot more on their goal of trying to break in 
and trying to make sure that everything goes off successfully. Versus in Tenet, like that whole battle sequence seemed a lot out of place by comparison to the rest of the film. Because up until that point, they didn't fight that many goons. There wasn't like a lot of battle sequences going on. There was like a lot more scaled down. The action sequences that lead up to the ending, it doesn't really equate to the ending that we got. So for me, had the ending been maybe a little bit more scaled down, I think it would have been less chaotic for one. And then at the same time, it probably would have made a more enjoyable experience. And the ending wouldn't be maybe as anticlimactic. I think what Nolan wanted to do was end the movie with like a big bang. And unfortunately, it doesn't really leave the audience, in my opinion, like very satisfied. And another glaring weakness of this film is the fact that the sound mixing is all over the place in this movie. There are periods whenever there's a person speaking and then there's blaring music. There's periods where they're speaking very muffled or they have an accent. And I'm just having a hard time understanding what they're trying to say. I didn't know until... I watched it a second time that I was like, oh, okay, I either really miss that much or it's not really important to the story as a whole. It does make for a frustrating experience if you don't know that the sound mixing is going to be weird, even though Nolan said that it was done on purpose. He doesn't want you to be focusing on particular aspects. He just wants you to get a sense of a general idea of what's going on, but he doesn't want you bogged down with the specifics. But still, especially when you're watching it in a theater or like in a loud setting, It is so difficult to understand what the characters are saying and whether or not it is important. And therefore, I recommend watching it with subtitles, which I normally enjoy watching other movies with subtitles as well, just because sometimes I can't understand what they're saying. Does it ruin the movie? Not necessarily. It just makes some aspects frustrating. I think that Nolan ultimately just wanted to make this cool movie, but I think that ultimately it didn't really succeed as something better than just another spy movie, in my opinion. Nolan has been known to be very creative, have this really inspired work. And for me, he's one of my favorite directors. I was very excited to see Tenant in theaters. But I think that Nolan may have gotten too indulgent in some of the things that he likes to do. There's some critiques on his work. that They have the dead wife. You have this annoying music, this convoluted plot. When a director, I think when they're known for certain things, I think unfortunately they try to either try to correct or they try to indulge in those corrections. And so Nolan is better served when he has someone else helping him write the scripts. I think he's a fantastic director, but especially if you go back to some of his earlier works, he worked a lot with his brother, Jonathan. Jonathan is no longer really working with him because he does his own stuff as well, like Westworld. He produces a lot of uh, television shows. And I noticed that when they work together, I think that their stories, their movies are much more entertaining as a whole. The most recent example was the movie Dunkirk. And Dunkirk wasn't really dialogue driven. It was action driven a little bit like this one that Nolan really succeeded in Dunkirk because he's able to get us to root for the characters in that movie versus in Tenet because they speak a lot. There's a lot of dialogue. Some of the dialogue is kind of cheesy and not really pertinent to what's going on. For me, the movie is missing a lot of the charm that Nolan has succeeded in bringing people into his movies. And this movie, despite having many positives and very ambitious, I think that it misses the mark and it doesn't really succeed at being something really great from Nolan. And I think that hopefully he gets to maybe step back from this movie, obviously because it didn't do well 
at the box office, but that's not really the movie's fault. That's because of coronavirus. I would like to see this movie released in theaters again. If people watch it in theaters again, I think that they would appreciate parts of it, even though some parts may become frustrating. As a Christopher Nolan fan, I think that he's done significantly better works. I think that this movie's ambitious for what it is, but it just doesn't really elevate itself to some of Nolan's better works. But I still want to see more from him. I'm excited to see any other movie that he releases. Hopefully he still puts his ambition and creativity behind it, but hopefully he's able to go back to have like that emotional core that I think was missing from this film. The score is excellent. The action was impressive. The story, while kind of riddled with some minor cliches, Nolan still made the spy movie his own. And I think that's ultimately what he wanted. I don't think he wanted to do something more than that. If this movie is ever released in theaters again, I think that anybody should really check it out. And I would recommend it. I think that it, it's one of the better movies that I have seen in terms of originality. And I'm excited to see more of John David Washington because I think he can do another action movie. See Robert Pattinson, you know, he's going to do Batman. So I'm excited to see him in that. And ultimately, I'm going to give the film around a 7 out of 10. And I would highly recommend the film. Now, the next movie that we're going to be discussing in this episode, it's 1993's Last Action Hero, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger as Jack Slater, Austin O'Brien as Danny Manigan, and Charles Dance as the villain Benedict. And the movie is about Danny, who is a kid who is a big action movie fan, who, after getting a magic ticket, accidentally gets teleported into an action movie starring Arnold Schwarzenegger and all the shenanigans that happen because of it. The movie is an action comedy. It's largely satirical and plays up a lot of action movie tropes from the 80s and the 90s. And especially it looks at the career of Arnold Schwarzenegger. And hearing the premise, it may sound familiar to probably more recent films that have come out, namely the scary movie movie that parody horror movies. But this film is thankfully not like those movies. And we're going to discuss what makes this film unique and why it's really worth discussing. So to start off, what makes this movie really unique? For one, it's super stacked in terms of the casting. You have so many celebrities and you have so many famous actors in this film from Jean-Claude Van Damme, Sylvester Stallone, Tina Turner, Ian McKellen, Anthony Quinn, just to name a few. And most of these famous people that are in this movie are largely relegated to cameos, but some do play pivotal parts. Anthony Quinn, for example, plays character called Tony Favaldi, who is the main bad guy of the fake film in the movie until he's ultimately replaced by Charles Dance as the principal villain of the movie as a whole. What I really like about this film is that it really is kind of like a nostalgia piece, but also for me, it really is like a time capsule of sorts. There's many references in the film to 80s and 90s pop culture, and especially the action films of the era, watching things like The Arnold Schwarzenegger films of the era, Sylvester Stallone, the John Clive Van Damme, a lot of those 80s and 90s films that they really appreciate and maybe not homage, but kindly poke fun of. With this additional context, let's go ahead and talk about the plot. In the film, the main character is Danny Manigan, played by Austin O'Brien, and he's a kid who loves action films. He spends his spare time at this New York theater. In the movie's universe, Arnold stars in this franchise of action films called Jack Slater, where he's a detective and it's very reminiscent of Die Hard, which would make sense because the director, John McTernan, directed Die Hard. So it is funny to see those parallels. And even they make fun of 
other action films as well. Arnold in the movies universe is this cop called Jack Slater. He's constantly under attack. He's in danger. And he's very fun to watch. And what happens is there's going to be a release of another Jack Slater movie, Jack Slater 4, where they kill Jack Slater's second favorite cousin, which is funny when you say it. Danny goes to the premiere and the owner of the theater gives him a magic ticket that was given to him by Houdini and about how ticket has a mind of its own. Danny is watching the movie. The ticket activates and he is literally thrown into the action in a very fun car chase. There's gunshots, cool, funny stunts and plenty of explosions during that sequence. And as the film progresses, Danny doesn't really seem keen on going back and continues to stay in the film and becomes Jack's partner. So the movie becomes this buddy cop film at this point with more action sequences, plenty of catchphrases, and a few interesting character moments. And eventually Danny does make it back home and the movie ends. So the overall gist is that Danny gets sucked into this Arnold action film and all the crazy stuff that happens from there. So let's start off with the good. As an Arnold Schwarzenegger fan, If you've seen most of his films, especially the films of the 80s and 90s, movies like Terminator, Predator, True Lies, Kindergarten Cop, Commando, then this movie is very familiar. I think that Arnold during this era was starting to shift away from just strictly action and delve into more comedies for the most part. If you're a fan of Arnold, then I think that this movie is really a treat. And for me, I really enjoy it because of that. And since this film is also directed by John McTernan, the director of Die Hard, he takes full advantage of a lot of the action sequences in the film. And since the film is only PG-13, the action does go over the top, but is largely clean. It's not very gratuitous. Not saying that it needs to, but some action movies of Arnold's time, especially something like Terminator and Terminator 2, they're very violent and very bloody. And even John McTernan, since he had directed Die Hard, he is very much familiar with the action movie genre that film phenomenal action film and so in this film i think largely because it's pg-13 it doesn't really push the envelope too much but it has plenty of action to where i don't think that it really needed to be rated r and the movie since it doesn't really take itself too seriously i think it fit well with the story that they were trying to tell and obviously there's plenty of homages to arnold's work throughout the film and it's a lot of fun There's references to Terminator. He says, I'll be back. And he does like signature catchphrases. And in it, Arnold is largely having a lot of fun from what I can tell. I think the story, it takes a lot of the better elements from the 80s and 90s films and puts them into the film. There's the buddy cop element. And it's funny in this case, because you're familiar with the buddy cop comedies where, okay, one guy is like this, one guy's a loose cannon, the other's like a straight shot. And in this film, you know, you take that element, the buddy cop, where one is a literal detective and the other is a kid. And he is just randomly, not well, not randomly, but he is assigned as partner to Jack Slater, which would make no sense. How how is this kid going to be helpful to Jack Slater's detective work? And how could he be his partner? You know, he can't really defend him. Jack does most of the heavy lifting. You know, it's comedic in that respect. They have plenty of playful banter and I actually think that Danny's able to hold its own against Arnold as well because the back and forth can be very intimidating with someone especially at the time Arnold was very big and very famous so it must have been kind of intimidating to be starring along such a big star. The film also has a mystery element to it as to who's actually in charge 
and the whole supernatural thing, how the ticket is able to get into the film, how you're able to get teleported into the film, how it activates, which is never really explained, which in the end, it doesn't really matter. Another aspect of this film that I really enjoy is the music. The music is phenomenal. I don't know how a movie like this was able to get such good music. It kind of reminds me of Space Jam, where their soundtrack is ridiculously good. And this film is kind of similar. You have ACDC's Big Gun, you have Megadeth's Angry Again, and the rock score just fits so exceptionally well to the film. These songs are not necessarily maybe not the greatest of heavy metal songs and rock songs, but they fit so well into this kind of over-the-top action-y genre. You're able to get this over-dramatic, the songs just fit so well in the action sequences that is going on and if it's the tone right and let's get down to the characters so arnold plays jack slater and also himself in the film arnold's comedic roles something like in twins jingle all the way just to name a few comedic roles i think that arnold is not really known for his comedy until maybe a little later on maybe not for the right reasons namely batman and robin but i think that arnold has been known for most of his career as an action star. Whenever he did these comedic roles towards the later half of his career before he became a governor, his comedy works exceptionally well. Arnold doesn't strike me as someone that takes himself really seriously. His role in it as Jack Slater, this cop that's largely dealing with all this crazy stuff, and he even mentions in the film, like the character Jack Slater says, it just keeps getting harder. Basically saying that like his escalation of events and he says all he wanted to do was be a cop kind of reminds me of like Die Hard where John McClane is just a cop and then he gets put in this crazy situation. It's just funny how the movie itself comments on the escalation of events. I love that he's able to be like self-referential in that respect. And even though I like Arnold in this movie, I think that there are some mixed moments Arnold sometimes has a hard time going from like serious to comedy, serious to comedy. It depends largely on the script. For example, in Terminator 2, there's a scene whenever John Connor, he tells him, when someone's mean to you, just say, bite me. Or when you got this, no problemo. And the Terminator's like, no problemo. It's funny. It works for the context that's going on in the film. And it's a nice moment. And in this film, the kind of cuter moments, the kind of... Smaller moments don't really have the same impact as they do in something like Terminator 2. But I don't necessarily think that takes away from this movie. The character of Jack Slater isn't really that much different than a lot of the other action roles that Arnold has done in the past. It's very similar to, you know, something like John McClane. It's very similar to something like Commando, Predator, for example. So in those films, he always plays the macho tough guy. And in this one... It's no exception. He plays the macho tough guy. That's not to take away from his performance, but it's just to say, I don't think Arnold is necessarily stepping so far out of his depth that Arnold doesn't come off as stiff. But at the same time, I think Arnold isn't really challenged in any crazy role for this film. Now, Austin O'Brien plays Danny Manigan, who is the kid, technically the main character of this film. And I think he does a really good job. I think a lot of times when you're watching these kind of films, a lot of the younger actors, when they act with more experienced actors, you can tell that they kind of struggle or they can't really keep up. That wasn't true in Terminator 2. The actor that played John Connor was phenomenal. And his performance right alongside Arnold in that film was fantastic. Austin O'Brien, he's able to keep up. He's able to keep up the banter. But I don't think that Arnold is necessarily so difficult to keep up with. Some of the jokes 
that Danny Manigan says in the film that they come off maybe a little too kiddish. If you're not a fan of like kid actors, then I don't think that Austin is going to really impress you in terms of his performance. Now, since the movie isn't really so serious and since it's largely a comedy, I think he plays off Arnold's banter and holds his own really well. But in some of the serious moments, I don't really get so attached to the characters that I'm like, oh, okay, this is like a really serious moment. And now the villain. So Charles Dance, who many Game of Thrones fans would recognize as Tywin Lannister, plays Benedict in this film, and he's the principal bad guy. I think Charles could have maybe been better utilized, considering the amount of talent that the man has. I think that he really does a good job with what he's given. Some of the dialogue that he's given is really annoying and not really threatening. His actions are more threatening because he has like this crazy accuracy with a gun. But there's a moment in the film whenever he breaks the fourth wall, just comes off as a little weird. Not just because of the fourth wall, but because of what he says. And I think that Charles Dance, he goes maybe a little too over the top, but that's the entire movie is over the top. So that's just more personal preference. But because I'm familiar with Charles Dance's exceptional talent, that on the contrary, I think that maybe he could have done a little bit more in this film. Now, some of the weaknesses of Last Action Hero is that there's a lot of inside jokes of the time. And a lot of things can get lost in translation. Since it is making fun of those 80s and 90s films, if you haven't really seen a lot of Arnold films, I think that a lot of the jokes that are in this film will really go over your head. And it's mainly because you're not familiar with those kind of films. If you've seen a lot of these Arnold films, then yes, you'll understand a lot of the jokes that are going on in this film. And the film isn't just riddled with jokes, but I do think that there's plenty of charm in those inside jokes that unfortunately won't land if you haven't really been familiar with his work. I think that you won't really appreciate those jokes, and therefore I think some of the movie loses its appeal because of that. So for me, with this film, as much as I enjoy it, I think that with time, a lot of those jokes don't really make any sense anymore. Arnold is not necessarily at the peak of his career anymore. And also the script and the dialogue go hand in hand, obviously. But that when they're making fun of tropes of action, it can come off as really excessive. When you go too far with a joke, you know that, okay, okay, this isn't really funny anymore. It's just, it's just too much. When Jack Slater is playing chicken with, with a bad guy, they're chasing him down with guns. And then all of a sudden the guy, he flinches and then he goes flying off a ramp and then the car sets on fire and then it crashes into a modeling place. And it's just like the guy coming out on fire, the car's exploding. It's a trope of a car goes flying and then all of a sudden the car explodes for no reason. There's another scene whenever there's supposed to be a funeral of a bad guy. And (laughs) it just makes me laugh just thinking about it. The funeral of the guy is called The Fart. And so they fill him up with some gas and to kill off this rival group. Arnold saves these people from being killed, obviously, by this bomb. But it's just like he's over there at the funeral with a bunch of mobsters. And then he steals the body and trying to run away. And literally every single person, the nuns, the the pastor, the, the family members, all of them have like a bajillion machine guns. And they're all trying to shoot Arnold. And it's just like... Is it kind of funny? Yes, but it's just like really over the top. On top of all that, they even have a helicopter with a machine gun. Why Why do you have so much stuff to... Per- Obviously, they're mobsters, but I doubt they're going to hire a machine... They're going to hire a, a helicopter with a machine gun. For me, just thinking about it, it's funny, but it's just like an action sequence. Arnold gets thrown off the building. He's saved by Danny, and it's just like a bunch of crazy stuff that happens in this film. 
And I'd rather not spoil a lot of the bigger sequences because I think that if you watch it, I think you'll enjoy it or at least have some fun with it. But I think that largely most of the action sequences, I think, are more fun than they are overbearing. Some of the story beats are pretty excessive. And I think the film overall is just kind of bloated. I think that the film is trying to do a lot. It's trying to reference this fictional world and then this fictional real world. It's a lot of things going on in the film that I think maybe could have been stripped down to make it a little bit more cohesive. When I was thinking of this movie and when I recently rewatched that, I've seen it over the years a few times. I kept thinking of one film in recent time that it really reminds me of, and that's the Deadpool movies. Deadpool is a really popular franchise. Those movies have been very successful critically and financially, and people really seem to love Deadpool. Ryan Reynolds is a fantastic actor. Without him, you can't really have Deadpool. But the Deadpool movies really do remind me of Last Action Hero, and I'll tell you why. That while there's very obvious differences between the films, I think that they're very similar in a lot of ways. Deadpool, the first one, did really well was introducing us to this referential, satirical, over-the-top performance from Ryan Reynolds and at the same time this crazy world that they live in. It's got charm from Ryan Reynolds, comedic. The movie itself parodies a lot of the other MCU films and the pop culture of the 2010s. I think that the film was widely successful because it's relevant to the time that we live in currently, but most importantly... I think that Ryan Reynolds really sold the film really well. I think without him, the movies probably wouldn't have been successful. Now, maybe Last Action Hero could have been that Deadpool of the 90s. What I mean to say is that Deadpool, I think with time, will become like its own time capsule. A lot of the jokes won't really make any sense because people won't really watch that many MCU movies. If you watch Deadpool 20 years from now, then I think that a lot of the jokes are probably not going to make any sense anymore or they're just going to be really dated. And I think the same thing has happened with Last Action Hero in that it's not really relevant for future audiences. Last Action Hero and Deadpool function as time capsules for the respective times. And unfortunately, Last Action Hero did not get the acclaim or the financial support that Deadpool and Deadpool 2 received. Last Action Hero is making fun of the 80s and 90s action films. But that encompasses many different films that you have to watch versus Deadpool primarily focuses on the MCU, especially. And MCU is a really popular franchise and probably the most famous action movies of this current time that we live in. But Last Action Hero, I think there's a lot of factors that probably hindered its performance. For one, it's the year and the time that it came out when this little known film called Jurassic Park came out and then all of a sudden blew all the competition out of the water, leaving Last Action Hero and some other films unfortunately forgotten and left behind. And even the director and Arnold have mentioned that Last Action Hero probably should have been postponed, probably toward later. I'm not sure if that would have really saved the film. Maybe financially it would have done a little bit better. Or maybe just that Arnold was at the peak. From there, I think that his films weren't really as big as Arnold would have thought they would have been. For me, I think that Last Action Hero, it really is an underappreciated film. But I think, especially for Arnold fans, I think that they've probably already seen it. And I think it really deserves more attention and more recognition. But any action movie fan, I think that they can appreciate the movie for what it is. You watch it as a 90s film. You appreciate the action. You appreciate some of the humor in it. And despite it being not one of Arnold's better movies, I think that the film is very funny. Got a lot of cool action sequences. And probably has some of my favorite catchphrases from Arnold in it. 
I would say if you're going to watch Last Action Hero, probably the two biggest movies that I probably recommend watching before you watch it are Terminator 2 and Commando. I think that those probably encompass two extremes from Arnold's filmography, arguably his best film with Terminator 2 and Commando probably being his most over the top kind of cheesy movie that I think that Last Action Hero kind of fits into. So I'm giving Last Action Hero 8 out of 10. It's one of my personal favorites from Arnold. And despite its many flaws, I think that there's plenty to appreciate from the film. And I'd recommend you watching it. And thank you for everyone for listening to this episode of the Randomly Access podcast. Be sure to follow us at the channel MX on Twitter for any future announcements on future episodes. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.